There's this guy in the Bible. His name's Jacob. Let me give you his bio. He stole from his family. He married a woman, and she wasn't good-looking enough for him, so he also married her sister. He tricked his father-in-law and took all of his good livestock. He slept with his wife's assistant. He shows favoritism among his kids, and he really loves the Lord. And it seems super hypocritical that a person could claim to love God and have so much brokenness and sin in their life. And yet, when I read Jacob's life and, and what I find to be true about his life is true in my own as well, and, and, and maybe yours, I really love the Lord and I'm really broken. Today I want to ask, does God have space for people like that? Does he have space for people like me and maybe you who love him and are also really messed up. So if you've got a Bible with you, we're in Genesis right there at the beginning of your Bible. Go to Genesis, find chapter 32. And you know the Bible is divided into these categories, these sections of Old Testament and New Testament. And so often we think, okay, well, the Old Testament, that's before Jesus. And then the New Testament is about Jesus and after Jesus. But in the sermon series that we're in, we're finding out, no, Jesus is all over the Bible. He keeps showing up in the Old Testament. He's showing up in ways, in these various places, to reveal the character of God. And today he's going to show up to this guy, Jacob. And this guy's pretty messed up. He has a past. And frankly, he has a present. He is continuing to sin. And I think this will connect with many of us because I think for a lot of us, we go, yeah, yeah, I love the Lord. I want to follow Jesus. I want to obey Jesus. And I have sin and brokenness in my life. I know for me, sometimes I wonder, when is God going to be done with me? When's he going to go, okay, Brad, you said we weren't going down this path anymore. And, and here we are. When's he going to say enough is enough? Today, I hope you learn something about the character of God. So the scene is Jacob is on the run. Jacob spends most of his life on the run. He leaves home as a young man because he's stolen his brother's inheritance. Later on, we find him running from his father-in-law. Well, now it sort of all comes to a head. He has to face what he's done. He's going to see his brother, this guy named Esau, who is a bad man. This is a scary dude. And so Jacob is scared about this, but but he has to face this life, this thing that he's done. And so he's on his way to meet Esau. But before we get there, we get this interaction. It's almost like a throwaway story. It's just 10 or 11 verses, and yet it shows us something. It shows us how God feels about broken people. Check this out. Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. It says, that night Jacob got up, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone. Stop there. Jacob's in the middle of moving. He's taking his family, he's taking all his animals, his servants, and he's going home to this place that he had run away from when he had stolen from his brother. When he had done this thing that brought shame on the family and he ran away, he's going back home. And so he's taking all of his stuff, all of his family, all of his possessions, and he's moving across the desert. He's going towards this meeting that he has with Esau. But on his way... He thinks to himself, man, I just really want to be alone. So he sends his family across. He sends his possessions, his animals, this whole caravan, sends them across the river 
because he wants some time by himself. He goes, I just need to clear my head. I need to go for a walk in the woods. I need some time where I can just stop and talk with God and just pray to him. And this is so interesting to me because I know for me, when I'm going to reflect on something, maybe that I've done, when I'm sort of caught up in something that maybe I'm embarrassed by and the wheels in my head start to turn and I start to reflect, what I do is I actually retreat. I actually move away from God. And yet Jacob has the sense to move towards God. If you tune me out the rest of the day, that's fine. I I really want you to hear this. It matters. Jacob is this broken, flawed guy, and yet he has the idea. He has the wherewithal to know when I'm scared, when I'm overwhelmed, I move towards God. I think there's something in that for us. Don't isolate. Don't run away. Move towards. You also get this picture just of Jacob that he's, yeah, he's this messed up guy and clearly he wants a relationship with God. He wants to follow the Lord. And so he says, let me get by myself where I can think. Let me get by myself where I can sort of just have this time with God and, 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 and take a walk in the woods. Here's what happens. It says that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Like, what? This is weird. So he sends his family across the river. He goes, I just need some space. I need to think. He's walking along and all of a sudden this man comes up from the river and I don't know if they have an interaction like, hey, how you doing? Whatever. They start to wrestle. The guy just comes at him and, and for whatever reason, like they just start to wrestle. And spoiler alert, it's not just some random dude. This is God. It's Jesus. Hosea 12, put that in the margin of your Bible there. Hosea 12, 3 says that God wrestles with Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God. So imagine this scene. You've got Jacob. He's not a great guy, right? He is an adulterer. He's a thief. He's a con man. He's a liar. In fact, his name Jacob in Hebrew means cheater. And then you have God. You have Jesus, perfect and holy. He is without the stain of sin. The Bible calls him unblemished. And Jesus descends He comes down, he shows up to be present with Jacob, to be present with his people, to talk with him, to interact with him. And notice what happens. It's not just to have a conversation. It's not to yell at him. It's not to shame him. It's not to wag his finger and say, Jacob, you better shape up. You're going down a bad path. No, it's to be close. It's to be physical. It's to actually touch him. Jesus comes so that he can interact intimately, closely with his guy, with Jacob. Can you imagine any other leader in history doing this? A world leader, a president, a king, leaving their palace and going and engaging in this way. Physically close, intimate relationship with just common folk? No way, right? But that's what Jesus does. He wants to talk to his people. He wants to be present with his people. And so he he shows up in the woods to meet with Jacob. And it seems like he's there to fight. And in a sense, they, they, they do. But that's not the reason that he's there. He's there to show Jacob something about the character of God. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him when Jesus saw that he could not overpower Jacob. Can Jesus overpower Jacob? 
Of course he can. This feels like a dad move to me, like when my seven-year-old wants to wrestle and for a while we're playing around and I'll do that. Wow, buddy, you're so strong, you got me. And then there's a point where dad just wants to sit on the couch and watch football and dad's like, okay, this is over, right? It feels like that, like at any moment, Jesus can overpower Jacob. When he saw that he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then he said, let me go. For it is daybreak. Jacob replied to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what's your name? Of course he knows his name. He says, Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Again, he knows his name, but it's kind of like he's holding a mirror of his life up to him. Jacob, what's your name? It's It's Jacob. It's a name that carries with it shame. You're a cheater. You're a deceiver. You're a liar. People know you as the one who brought shame on your family because you stole the birthright of your brother. You embarrassed. You tricked your father. Your name is Jacob. But not anymore. I'm changing your name. You were Jacob before. People thought of you as cheater. But now your name will be Israel. Israel means struggles with God. I'm changing your name, Jacob, because in this interaction that we're having, I'm changing you. Verse 29, Jacob says to him, please tell me your name. He replied, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, which it means the face of God, saying it is because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared, right? So just bizarre, whack story. Jacob wants time by himself. God shows up and wrestles with him. He sees God face to face. Like this is how God shows up. Super weird, right? But can you step back far enough? Could you step back to to see something about the character of God? Could, Could you step back to see this interaction that he has, that Jesus comes to interact with Jacob so close that they could wrestle, so close that he can smell Jacob's awful breath? You got to get this. You got to see this because Jacob's life is my life and maybe your life. I am so in love with God. I so badly want to follow him and obey him and do what he has said. I so much want to be like Jesus, but like Jacob, I continue to sin. I continue to find myself doing the same things over and over again. And I repent and I go, God, I'm so sorry. I'm never going to do this again. And guess what? I find myself right back in the same place. I'm like Jacob. And I see the perfect and holy Jesus come. And he, he wants to have this closeness with Jacob. He must want to have it with me too and, and with you. And there's no trick here. It's not like Jesus doesn't know who Jacob is and what he's done. It's not like he thinks he's wrestling with this perfect guy. Jesus knows Jacob. He knows that Jacob has had an affair. He knows that Jacob conned his family out of all their money. He knows. In fact, he knows what Jacob will do in the future. He knows how Jacob will choose a favorite among his kids and mistreat some of the others. And yet Jesus still comes close to him. Jacob's mess doesn't scare him away. It so resonates with me. 
Maybe it does for you too, because I look at Jacob's life and I see this. He, he, he lives this life where he's constantly ping-ponging back and forth. I want to follow the Lord. Oh, I want to do what he asks of me. I want to obey him. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be holy and righteous. And the world gets in my way and distracts me. And I find myself going down these other paths that I never wanted to and I never intended to. And I want to follow the Lord, but I, I, get, I get caught over here and I, I ping-pong back and forth. That's Jacob. That's me. And sin keeps popping back up. I know this tension that he's living in. And in my head, I know that Jesus has space for people like that. I know it. But in my heart, I sometimes wonder, do I need to clean my act up first? Then God will love me. Then God will bless me. Oh, I know he loves you and your mess, but what about me? It's hard for me to believe that. When's God just going to be done with me? I mean, I keep doing the same things over and over, the things that I said I would never do again. I want to read something that's helped me. I want you to see how Jesus walks into the messiness of Jacob's life, but I want you to know that that's true for your life as well. So let me read this. It's from an old Puritan writer named John Bunyan, and he talks about how we have a really hard time believing that Jesus could know everything about us, that he could know our mess and actually still love us or want to be anywhere near us. Like We believe that's true for everybody else, but we come up with all these reasons to resist his love. And so what he does is he writes an imagined conversation that we might have with Jesus about all the resistance we put up to his goodness. Listen to this. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. And Jesus responds, I know. You know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others See, but there's perversity down inside of me that's hidden from everyone. Yeah, I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, Jesus. It's my present, too. I understand. I don't know if I can break free from any of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help, Jesus says. The burden is heavy, and it's getting heavier all the time. Well, then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. No, not for me. Finally, we say, Jesus, you don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. And he gently replies, then I'm the one most suited to forgive you. Obviously, it's just a made-up conversation, but every time we come to Jesus with reasons to resist his love, with reasons why he's going to be scared off by us, by our messiness, every time we try and run and hide, Jesus actually leans in. He goes, I want to be so close to you. It's you and me. Let's wrestle this thing out. Let's be so close that we can smell each other. You have in your mind this idea that you're so messy that if we're close, your mess is going to rub off on me, but it's quite the opposite. If we could be that close, my goodness is going to rub off on you. Jesus actually wants to be this close to his people in each other's face. 
that you could feel his breath on your skin. Here's what I want you to know about God's character today. If you want to take some notes, you can jot a few things down. It's pretty simple. One is this, is that God knows everything about us, and it doesn't scare him away. He knows everything about you. Do you know that? He knows what you've done. He knows what you did back in high school. He knows what you did 20 years ago and 10 years ago and a year ago and last month and last week, and he knows what you did last night. And he's not scared. He doesn't run away. He knows all of your sin, even the stuff no one else knows about. He knows all of the shame that you feel, that you pile on yourself all the time. He knows about the abortion that you had that you've never told anyone about. He's not scared away. He knows about the anger that you carry in your heart. He's not scared away. He knows about that embarrassing, awful thing that was done to you so many years ago. He's not scared away. Do you know that? Do you know he knows all of it and it doesn't scare him? He actually wants to still come and be close to you. Psalm 139 talks about this, talks about it like this. It says, God, you've searched me and you know me. He knows everything about you, everything inside of you. He knows what's in your head and he knows what's in your heart. He's done a background check on you. He knows it all. He's seen the old yearbook photos and he's not scared. He doesn't run away. He still loves you. You know when I sit and when I rise, there's not a movement that you make that God doesn't know about. You are familiar with my ways. He knows your gentle spirit. He knows your generous heart. He knows the acts of kindness that you've done that no one else has seen. He knows it. And he knows your addictions and your compulsions. Not scared by it. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't run away. Still loves you. You know my words before I speak. He knows every word that you've ever spoken. He knows the words that you've spoken in anger. He knows the lies that you've told. He knows the gossip. He knows the words of hatred and racism. He knows the, the words of lust. And he knows every word that you'll ever speak. Not scared away. Not afraid of it. He still loves you. He still wants to be close to you. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There's not a cell in your body that Jesus doesn't know about. And he still loves you. He still wants to be close to you. In all of that mess, he's not scared away, and he'll never be scared away. In fact, listen, Jesus says this himself to his disciples in John. In John chapter 6, he says, all those the Father gives me, everyone the Father gives to me, that will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It's impossible. 
That is the character of God. He will never drive us away. There's no mess that's too big. There's no mess that he's afraid of. He just wants us to come to him. He already knows everything. He goes, I can handle it. I'm not afraid of your mess. I'm not embarrassed by your mess. Just bring it to me. Honestly, you guys, if you believe that your mess is so big that you can get Jesus to drive you away, that you can get Jesus to go, ah, be afraid of that and gasp at it, you just don't have that kind of power. There's nothing. There's nothing that could cause him to run away. He knows your mess, and he's not afraid. Here's what's even more incredible about this. Because maybe you can get your mind around that. You go, okay, fine. Yeah, God knows everything, and he's perfect and holy, and so he's not afraid by it. He can handle it. He knows the future. Nothing scares him. But what's so incredible about this is you dial it up even further. It's just how personal God is. This is all so personal. More than 400 times, listen to this, more than 400 times in the Bible, God says, I am the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. Not simply Lord Almighty, not Lord of creation, not Lord on high. He is all those things, but he says, I am the Lord, your God. Personal. He wants a relationship. This whole Jesus thing, we get this so twisted. We make it about religion so fast. If I'm just a better person, if I don't sin so much, if I read my Bible more, if I pray more, if I don't curse, if I don't drink as much, if I'm catechized, if I'm baptized, that's all religion. This Jesus thing is about a relationship. It's about this God who wants to be close to us. It's personal. But do you know what we do? We settle for religion. And you know why? Because relationships take work. They take time, and they take energy, and they take effort. If I said to you, you know, my wife and I don't really talk to each other. We don't really spend time together. We don't eat together. We never are just alone. We never go out on a date together. You'd go, well, that's probably not the healthiest relationship I've ever heard of. But is that how we treat Jesus? We only talk to him when we need something. We only talk to him when we're scared. We only talk to him when we're overwhelmed. We talk to him when something's going down a path that we don't really like that. That's not what we had planned. Do you just talk to him? You know that he wants to spend time with you? You know he wants a relationship with you? I mean, maybe the simplest way I could frame this, just to ask you a simple question is, do you spend time with Jesus? Do you even know that that's actually what he wants? He wants to sit on the couch with you and just talk. He wants to find out what's going on in your life. He wants to hear it from you. He knows, but he wants to hear it from you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to just sit and listen. Do you, do you just listen to him? You go, what do you mean? I can't hear him. I mean, do you just open your Bible and and? hear his words? Do you ever just stop and, and listen for his voice? Not audibly, but, but in your heart? Do you slow down enough? And are you ever just quiet enough that you could hear from him? Because listen, I get it. You're really busy. But the Lord, your God, the Lord of creation, the Lord, your God, he wants to spend time with you. Do you know that? He just wants to be together. 
in this relationship, and he doesn't want to shout over everything else that's going on in your life, right? Most healthy relationships aren't marked by yelling. He doesn't want to have to yell at you to get your attention. He wants to be so close. He wants to be able to whisper, and you would hear him. And and, and listen, I get, you go, that sounds sort of ethereal. That sounds kind of flighty, but look at the story with Jacob. When does Jesus interact with him the closest? It's not when he's with his family traveling across the desert with a caravan of stuff and all his possessions and his servants and his animals. It's when he's alone. Jacob, I I want us to be alone together. You and me, let's wrestle this thing out. Let's be so close that I could whisper and you could hear me. Heart check for you. How's your relationship with Jesus? Not your religion. Get out of here with that. Your relationship. Are you spending time with him? I mean, maybe just a good question that's worth asking. One more thing I want you to see about God's character. Yes, he knows everything. Yes, he is intimately personal, connected. But watch this. He is so powerful. He is powerful enough to change us. With just a word, he changes Jacob's name. With just a touch, he ends this wrestling match. There's a story in the New Testament where a woman comes forward and she just grabs a hold of Jesus' pant leg and she's healed from this chronic, lifelong illness. Just a word, just a touch. He has that kind of power. Some of us have started to believe because we've been stuck in the same pattern, the same rut for so long, the same rut of sin, the same rut in our relationships, rut in in our walk with God. We've started to believe, well, this is just how it is. This is just how things are going to be. But he is so powerful with just a word, with just a touch. God could change you. And yeah, he can change your circumstances and and, and he can do that. But he wants to change you. He wants you to come to him and go, God, show me what it is to be humble. He has the power to help you. God, show me how it is, what it looks like to be gentle. That's my conversation with God. It has been over the last number of months. Jesus was gentle, and I'm not. So I've been asking him, right? Show me what it means to be gentle. God has the power to remake me. God, show me how to be patient. God, give me peace and joy. God, show me what it looks like to have self-control. And the Bible says that God is so powerful. He can do more than we could ask or even imagine. Go back to the story of Jacob because God doesn't intervene. Superhero Jesus doesn't fly in and go, I'll stop this. You don't have to meet Esau. No, he does. He has to face Esau, but because of this interaction with God, he's been changed, and now he does it with humility and forgiveness in his heart. God changes people. So where does that leave us? Well, in some ways, right where we started, because I think for a lot of us, we go, I, I, I really love God. I really want to follow him. And I'm really broken. There's really a lot of sin in my life. I'm, I'm messed up. And at some point, we are convinced that nothing's ever going to change. The same patterns are going to keep showing up and showing up. And this is just who I am. And Maybe you've even started to believe that God has got to be about done with me. God's about to give up on me. 
What I love about this story is that when this all takes place, he's, this Jacob, he's a grown man. He's walked with the Lord for much of his life, and he's screwed this thing up real bad, and he continues to screw it up. He is broken, but it's not too late. God wants to be close to him. He wants to be intimate, near to him, and change him. If there are patterns in your life, if there are patterns of sin in your life and you go, I've been stuck in this and I don't think every, anything is ever going to change, repent. Repent and ask God to change you. If there's things in your life, directions that you're going, that you, you're like, I never meant to go this way. I don't want to go this direction. Talk to him. Say, Lord, help me. Lead me. It's not too late. He changes us. I want to end by showing you a video because I think this helps capture, helps show us what it means that God understands and knows everything and he's not scared. And God is so personal and he's perfectly authoring our stories. And God has the power to change us. When we are humble, he wants to be close to us and he wants to change us. Watch this story. My name is Julian Green. I was born and raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, grew up in a Catholic home. Went to Catholic school in Bethlehem from first to eighth grade. So growing up in Catholic school, I always knew who Jesus was. I knew plenty about the story of his sacrifice. Uh, and. I just had some of the basic questions that I think that children have about the supernatural events that happen in the Bible. I remember in the seventh grade, I asked how he got to walk on water, because uh, it just didn't really make sense at my 12-year-old brain what that looked like and why no one else can do that. As I got older and the questions kind of deepened, uh, the weight and the substance of them got more complex. Uh, I just felt like the church that I was involved with and, and even you know, just my, my upbringing as a whole made me very firm in my belief that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, but I didn't feel like there were answers to the questions that I had, which made me very skeptical as to if anybody had these answers. It really kind of put me in this state of doubt. I wasn't quite sure that anyone had the answers, and if no one had the answers, then I couldn't be very firm in my beliefs. As I was nearing the end of high school, I was just looking for purpose validation, you know, I wanted to be accepted, I wanted to be loved, and I wanted to feel like I was a valuable piece of my friends and community and the world. I experimented with drugs and sex, and I thought these things would fulfill me because they bring you that instant gratification. But it didn't, I, I guess it wouldn't take long before I realized that that was putting me deeper in this hole of feeling like I didn't have a purpose. and. So I was pretty certain that I knew where I was headed in this path. It, it became very defeating. At the peak of all of this turmoil that I was in, uh, I had just recently moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I was modeling, I was an online influencer. I was, found the validation that I was looking for. It didn't really provide me with the purpose that I was looking for, but it certainly felt good to be watched and appreciated and valued uh, for whatever it was that they saw value in. Uh, but I didn't really, love myself the way that the people online uh, claim to love me. So I got this tattoo on my face. It says, I am, and it was about 
positive affirmations. It was about looking in the mirror and when I talk about myself, when I talk to other people about who I am, that I'm very careful and mindful of how I follow that up. Uh, I was very used to saying, I am a loser, I am a failure, I am unwanted, and I truly believe that that was my identity. About four or five weeks after getting the tattoo, I came to the conclusion that it did not serve its purpose, and it just became a face tattoo. So I decided that I was going to get it removed. Four sessions later, uh, I still have half a face tattoo there, and I, I wasn't confident in his ability, and I wasn't confident that this was going anywhere anymore, so I decided to put that dream aside. I was gonna live with half a face tattoo for a while as I geared to move back to the East Coast and just figure out what I was doing in life. Two years later, I found myself coming to Faith Church for the first time. I came to support a friend. I didn't come to seek out God, but something about that first service that I attended brought me back. I had my eyes closed as the sermon buffer video came on and I remember praying to God that, you know, I had come to church for three weeks now. I'm just looking for something concrete. And I lifted my head and opened my eyes and behind Joe on the screen were the words I am written over and over and over and over again in the way that Christ used them throughout the gospel. When Jesus says, I am he, he's wrapping all of this truth together and says, I am something you don't realize. I was very shaken up. <laughs> it kind of dawned on me that he didn't want this to go anywhere until I had learned uh, my lesson through it. And the lesson wasn't about positive affirmation. It wasn't about giving myself my identity. It was about finding my identity through him. God spoke to me that day in a very real way that made me feel seen. It made me very aware that he had always been with me. Even when I was at my lowest points, I was very certain that he was not a part of my life and he was altogether not real in my mind whatsoever. From that moment on, I, I knew that God had me right in his hand. I was ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. God has been revealing himself to me in very personal ways since then, long before then. But he's kind of revealing to me through his word and through the people uh, that have accepted me and welcomed me into his family that I can still use that influence, that gift that he gave me to, to, to really lead others uh, to glorify him. Now when I look at my half of a face tattoo, I, I, I'm actually reminded of the fact that I'm saved, uh, that I'm loved and I'm forgiven. And I spent the better half of the last decade absolutely certain that God was not real and I was not certain at all about who I was. And even then, he did what he does best and what only he can do. And he changed my life.